Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Brett Chisholm. I'm Josh Evans. And on today's episode, well, we got some hot meme-based financial tips brought to you by a couple of smooth-brained, diamond-handed tendy grabbers. And then Josh blasts off on more than just game stonks. He's talking space. Again. But luckily, the infinite nature of the universe offers more than just one week of content. Get ready to hear about a video gaming experience that makes every other game obsolete, like they're a couple of billion dollar hedge funds. We're talking about Elite Dangerous. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett, how are you? Josh, I'm amazing. You know where I'm at right now? I have no idea. I can see that you're <laughs> sitting in a hotel room. I don't know where you are, though. It's a different hotel room. I'm in uh, Miami, also known as the capital of Latin America. Party time. Yeah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> you're uh, still out there for flight training? Yeah, just uh, finished up with Indoc and Systems, and now um, I have the weekend off. And I'm headed to do some emergency training, some drills, and some like raft in the water stuff. I think we're oh, we've been told to actually be prepared to get wet and wear clothes that we're okay getting wet, which is interesting. Um, I've been through several initials with different airlines, with different companies. Um, s- two of them, we did some overwater operations. One of them, I did oceanic crossings. I mean, I crossed the Atlantic, the Pacific. I have never gotten in a pool for any airline training before, so this will be a first for me. Uh, that actually sounds really awesome. I mean, I've done like a water training with skydiving. I'm sure you have as well, where you jump in with the rig on, they throw a parachute over your head, and you have to basically like untangle yourself and fight your way to the surface, which I always thought was like really awesome training. So it sounds pretty, uh, pretty incredible doing that with like simulated plane components. Yeah, I think I think we're we're going to be getting in the life raft uh, is my guess that they carry on these seven thirty sevens. But um, with the uh, water training you're talking about for the B license for skydiving, I haven't officially done that, but I have been in <laughs> submerged in water twice with a parachute on. Oh uh, man, boat <laughs> why? <laughs> Base jumping at Twin Falls, Idaho. Oh, my God. Um, the first time was intentional. It was actually with Tom Aello's water round. And I took like a you know long three-second delay. And it, I was planning on landing in the water. You can't really steer that round. And then the second time, actually, I've been in the water three times now that I start talking about it. The second time was at a camp with Sounds Tom like Aello. Sounds like bad at accuracy. <laughs> so that time I was, uh, I, th- I, can't, I think they call it the dark side of the bridge or front flow. I don't know. You're, you're facing the bridge on the side where they usually base jump on, but you're, you're facing the bridge, you exit, you open up under the bridge, fly under the bridge and land on the other landing area where, you know, it's kind of the alternative landing area, but, um, the wind picked up and I ended up in the water. And then the, the third time was actually my last base jump. And I had a 360 line twist under my slider. I was jumping slider up and ended up in the water on that one. Time to hang it up. Did you guys have a <laughs> Did you guys have a boat out there with you? Um, yes, I think all three times there was a boat that picked me up. Nice. I didn't have to swim to shore or anything. 
Yeah, I did a couple of front float on that bridge, and uh, it's a pretty incredible experience going off looking at the steel. Because when you go off facing away from the bridge, you know you definitely get that sensation of your falling because you're starting from a standstill. But the visual isn't really that different from being on the bridge and falling into the canyon. But when you face the bridge, the instant you step off, you see like the roadway past you, you see the steel underneath, like the entire structure. And then, yeah, opening up and flying towards the rainbow of the, of the bridge is like a pretty mind blowing experience. I never went in the water though. The only, only part of me that ever went in the water was one of my shoes when I, uh, did an ill-advised front flip <laughs> on my 10th jump and ended up pitching head low, blew both my shoes off. So, uh, you know, one of them landed on the, landed on the shore and one of them landed in the water. So you that was a, that. you did a front flip, huh? That's, that's a, yeah. that's a pretty baller, uh, base jumping exit. I said it was ill-advised. <laughs> so I used to work at a bungee jump park when I was in college and we had this thing called uh, scad diving, susp- suspended catch air device. Like if you saw, Luke Aiken's uh, parachuteless skydive into the net. It was basically that same device, but it was built on a tower. So before I ever base jumped, before I ever skydived, I had like over a thousand free dives into this net. And, you know, it it was kind of like a wind tunnel for base aerials, essentially. Like I could come off of that thing and do like quadruple front flips and I could like roll out of the basket and do like a half barrel roll, double backflip. And so when I started base jumping, I was like, oh yeah, this is something I've, you know, I did for years and it was not the same thing. And the stakes <laughs> were so much higher. These are decisions I would never make now as an adult. Well, I support your decision then and I support your decision now. I'm here to validate your feelings. Perfect. Well, I'm much better <laughs> at decision making now. So if you only had to pick one, I would pick uh, the Josh of 2021 than I would the Josh of 2006. All right. All right. I like 2021 Josh. He's he's pretty cool. Still alive. <laughs> That's true. That's more than I could have said at the beginning of 2006 for, uh, for that Josh. The odds That's, were not looking good. It's always good to uh, be breathing. <laughs> yeah, wow. As a baseline, yes, that's a perfectly good objective to shoot for. Dude, that was deep. I should so put that on for, my uh, uh, I should put that on my self-help uh, Instagram account. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Perfect. Uh yeah, just link to that in the show notes. What do you have for the uh off top today, buddy? Oh, buddy, I'm going to talk about some sweet sweet tendies. That I know it's sweet sweet <laughs> is. That last thing does not ring a bell. Well, I'm just going to jump right into this. So I, I think you know this about me. I've dabbled a little bit in the stock market over the years. Um, I've actually done, I think, pretty well. Uh, you know, part of it is just luck. I had some capital when things weren't looking too good. And, you know, the the old adage from Warren Buffett is that when people are scared is when you buy. It's when people are confident is when you, when you should sell. And I kind of just shoveled some assets into um, some indexes and some different things that I liked. And I've always kind of gone with my gut. Um, Amazon, Tesla, Apple. I mean, these are things that have done really well and they've paid off. But uh, if I would have put just a little bit more in, and I know this is one of those coulda, woulda, shouldas, I definitely, if I would have just risked a little more on the line, I could have made a little bit more return. But I'm just I'm just kind of painting the picture here that I've I've dabbled 
I've done okay. Actually, my worst investment so far has been Boeing, a company I really believe in. But of course, they've gone through some really difficult times lately, and I've lost about 40% of my- They've been uh, blowing it. (laughs) Oh, good one. Um, Well, recently, I made a move that might be a little less investing and a little more gambling, but I'm going with my gut on this, and I'm putting a little bit more on the line, and- you know, if I'm being honest, I think the stock market is always a bit of a gamble, and this time is definitely not an exception. So, you might have been hearing the term tendies with everything going on in the financial world this week. Do you have any idea what tendies are? I, I've already made it clear <laughs> that that is not a word that I've ever heard before. Well, um, if you're thinking that this is some highfalutin stock trade terminology like dividends or blue chips or spreads, it's not, but it also kind of is right now. Um, tendies is short for chicken tenders, and okay. <laughs> the term was popularized by 4chan green text stories about basement dwelling neckbeards in their mid-20s who can exchange good boy points with their mother in exchange for <laughs> tendies. <laughs> All right. Sounds no. uh, quasi-illegal, but well, I can definitely see where they're coming from now. So recently, the term has um, really been popularized to mean gains earned from an investment. Um, I don't know if you can hear that, but uh, Miami is right outside my hotel, my hotel <laughs> Sounds room. like a party's going on. It's it's a Saturday night in uh, Miami. What, what can you expect? Why don't you step out there and tell them that you're recording the content clearinghouse and that's way more important than whatever they're doing. So um, the, this term has really represented gains earned from an investment. Specifically, this term is being used by amateur investors that are sort of day trading on these new platforms like Robinhood. Now, what is it going on that has everyone talking about tendies? Uh, Where do I begin with this? I mean, this has been dominating the news cycle. I don't want our show to be a news show, but this is truly an unbelievable time. So basically, and I know you kind of haven't really been following this story like me, so I'm going to try to break it down for you personally. Uh, So basically, a Redditor on this subreddit, Wall Street Bets, saw a massive amount of short trades against the company GameStop. Now, this is a place that, uh, Josh, you and I used to frequent back when we lived in Arvada together and played video games. Sweet, sweet video games. I do love sweet, sweet GameStop. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure I uh, brought in a, like, newish $60 game in for a trade and they gave me, like, $5 of store credit. (laughs) Oh, yeah, they'll screw you big time. There's... (laughs) Some way you can get it over with them, uh, give it, get it over on them with the stock market. Just take advantage of that. <laughs> it's, they'll definitely screw you out of your money when it comes to trading games. Well, that was then, and this is now, and it's all water under the bridge. Um, Which you've landed in several times. This is. <laughs> it's it's very true. How applicable. So this redditor, he's actually a guy by the name of Keith Gill. Uh, he's also known as Deep Fucking Value on Reddit and Roaring Kitty on YouTube. Now, Keith has already solidified his status as both an internet legend, and he's really a legend of the people, and he's also a self-made millionaire. 
He started investing in GameStop around June 2019 when the stock was trading around $5 a share. Uh, and he considered this undervalued. He believed that it was poised to pivot and regain momentum. And just like his name implies, his investment strategy has typically been to find stocks that are like, I, I wouldn't say penny stocks, but at least undervalued. So as things started to gain momentum, he, uh, him and some other folks, these internet sleuths, they realized that several hedge funds were shorting GameStop basically betting against it. Now, I'm going to preface everything uh, beyond this point by saying the obligatory, I am not a financial advisor. I'm not a moneyologist. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. You got to go to I school am, for that. <laughs> I am uh, I'm what the Redditors call uh, just a smooth-brained monkey man that has a little bit of skin in the game. And so with that said, here's the deal as far as I at least can understand and sum up. Short selling is when an investor borrows a stock, sells that stock that they're borrowing, and then buys the stock back on the market to return to the lender. Now, to do this, the short sellers are betting that the stock that they sell is going to drop in price. So whatever the difference between that sell price that they're selling it to on the open market that they've borrowed... Whatever the difference is between that sell price and the buy price, that's their profit. The problem that can happen is if the price of the stock goes up instead of down, now this isn't a profit anymore. This is a loss. So this investor- in the hole. Exactly. So the investor that's sold this borrowed stock for an agreed upon price, he has an obligation to return the stock after a predetermined period of time. That same investor has to- purchase the stock back now at a price that's higher because he has an obligation. This isn't, he's borrowing this. So he has to return the stock. So, you know, it's kind of a too long, didn't read with stocks. Obviously you want to buy low and sell high. That's how you make money with shorting. You can just think of this as reversing the temporal order, doing a a little tenant as a contentologist might say. Nice. (laughs) Temporal pincher on the stock market. Yeah, this is this exactly. This is a sell high, buy low. Now, in the situation we are in within GameStop, these Reddit sleuths realized GameStop was massively shorted. In fact, several hedge funds were actively shorting GameStop so much they were actually trying to push GameStop out of business and they were making millions of dollars doing it. This is what hedge funds do. So, not only are they pushing out GameStop, they were actually shorting more than 100% of the stocks that exist for this particular company. How is that even possible? It's all legal, my friend. But (laughs) how is is it physically possible? Are they just moving it around so fast that it's not being being tracked that like, you know, like an individual unit of stock is being moved more than once? I mean, they're tracking every single stock. It's not that it's being moved. The way that I understand it is that they're lending the stock. So one person's owning it and sort of lending the stock to another person and they can lend it. But I think what was happening in this particular case too, and once again, I'm just a smooth-brained monkey. I don't know anything about this. But you had this giant Melvin Capital, this giant hedge fund, 
that was doing this. And then other short sellers were just going along with this short, like, oh, this is a for sure bet. This is a for sure thing. And so they were starting to do the same thing. So, so they were essentially like an individual stock is, is almost being like subletted. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. Man, that is such a financial hack. I mean, it's like, I, I realize this is a, a thing that people actually do to make money, but it's, you know, like you have to have such a high level understanding of the financial world and then understand the rules so specifically that you can like break them in this way that doesn't bring like heat down upon you, but still like still make money off of the whole process. It's, yeah. It's like completely baffling and incredible. It is. Um, you know, the problem with short selling is that you do stand to lose a lot, but you know, these people looked at GameStop as like this, you know, brick and mortar COVID, it was already struggling. So it they was were just bad gonna, in COVID. I mean, they were just going to snuff this thing out. Um, Hence now, Wall Street bets. That's where the bets come in, I'm assuming. Right. Well, so deep fucking value kind of realized this, also realized that GameStop does have potential value. And, um, you know, it's really hard to say what the tipping point was, but the story slowly started to grow. The stock rose because the more people that bought the stock, the higher the price was driven. And now here we are. I mean, this, this, our financial market is being mixed with memes. These hedge funds <laughs> have already lost truly. This is, this is real because they <laughs> owe a lot of money. This has cost them billions of dollars. They were caught oh with God. their pants down. I mean, I'm talking like per week in the tens of billions of dollars this is costing them. Now, things are going their way. And they are pulling out all of the stops because a bunch of retail investors, that's what I am. I am not an institution that can make trades after hours. I can work through a brokerage and I can say, hey, I want to buy this for this amount. And somebody else does it. I'm a retail investor. Now, myself and millions of others are just sitting at home and buying and selling stocks with these commission-free apps like Robinhood. And we are now beating them at their own game. And this is a very dangerous game for us, for them, for everybody, but we're using their rules. We're on their battlefield, but in response to this, I mean, and this is to be expected, but they're playing incredibly dirty. So Robin Hood, and I saw this firsthand. I had already had uh, like 17 shares of uh, GameStop at this point. Robin Hood restricted buying more GameStop stock on their platform. This is unprecedented. So if you wanted to buy any amount, you were restricted from doing that. So this is literally going to cause an investigation from Congress, the SEC most likely. I mean, they are literally manipulating the market. And then you get these billionaires and you get these, you know, the Robin Hood CEO came on to CNBC and they're saying that these Redditors... <laughs> are manipulating the market by trying to work together. I mean, Reddit is just a bunch of people screaming, you know, that they like uh, that they like GameStop. They like the stock. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. And these hedge funds, the hypocrisy of them getting on the news anytime they want to and talking about a stock that they like and that drives the price up, apparently it's not market ma manipulation. But if you get on a forum and you start screaming about, you know, some memes and some stocks, all of a sudden you're manipulating the market. But anyway, this restricted the price from climbing. 
I mean, I firsthand saw, and this actually, I was sitting in class on Thursday, and this made me a little bit nauseous because I was up about $6,000. And the hedge funds, uh, they tried what's called a, a ladder attack. So they have these stocks that they sell to each other back and forth really quickly. So it looks like people are selling off the stock and they just sell it back and forth to each other to try to drive the price down to make retail investors panic and sell the stock because they're like, oh, I don't want to lose more. God, so I so dirty. So I saw my huge gains, you know, go down to uh, very dizzying lower amounts. Guess what, buddy? People held on. I held on. It came right back up. It is. Is this when you uh, messaged me and said that you were having a really rough day? <laughs> was this about that time? It was a little emotionally draining, but you know what? I'm I'm in this to win this. I mean i I feel like I'm part of a movement. I'm sure a lot of other people feel the same way. I mean, I myself, I don't expect to be making mad tendies. Okay, I'm, I'm a little late <laughs> to the party. Um, Plus but your this neck really... beard is uh, <laughs> conspicuously shaved off for your flight training. It'll come back one day, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, Josh, this this truly does feel like an opportunity to be part of history. Like this is David versus Goliath. And I think for a lot of people, myself included at this point, it is no longer just about the money or about the money at all. This is about being a part of something bigger. I mean, my generation has gone through several economic meltdowns. We've watched our government bail out these huge corporations and banks that mismanaged our funds while the average person was left to deal with the consequences of these supposed financial experts' piss poor poor, poor planning. A lot of peas to get out there. I've seen Ooh, inflation rise. Literation master. Housing costs rise beyond what I can ever imagine affording. I mean, gone are the days where you can buy a house to raise a family in for $30,000. You know, uh, yeah, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. We've been told to work hard, to lift ourselves up by our bootstraps. Can't Josh, even afford I- <laughs> bootstraps these days. <laughs> and if you could, have you ever tried to bend down and physically lift yourself up by grabbing your bootstraps? And that's not pulling how gravity upwards? works. And if it's- you did, somebody <laughs> would probably short those bootstraps before you even got to them. They'd be gone. And then by the time you got them back, they'd be like three times the length. <laughs> I'm happy to see this passion in you, buddy. <laughs> I just have a thing in my heart for bootstraps. <laughs> I'm going to buy that bootstrap stock. I'm on a roll. Uh, so, yeah, I'll let you borrow some for a little bit. <laughs> so don't get me wrong. I, I realize that I'm luckier than most people. I mean, I've definitely had ups and downs. I've had losses. I've had gains. And I... I don't expect some massive windfall from this risky decision to come down the pipeline, but I do know right now that there's billionaires that are crying on TV, on mainstream media, saying they're just trying Good. to make a living. And they, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> these yeah. are guys. They pat themselves on the back for being such savvy, educated, careful investors, and they are perpetuating this myth of a meritocracy that if you're a billionaire, then you must have been smarter than the rest of us. You must have worked harder. It surely wasn't because of massive head starts and family wealth and the fact that with money like that, different rules apply to you. So right now, there's a movement of regular people who like memes and like self-deprecating jokes, and they're going all in on what could be one of the biggest and most consequential 
short squeezes in history. That's where we fight the hedge fund and we squeeze their short. And when they're forced to finally buy back those stocks, the price goes up and up and up. And you know what? To my fellow smooth-brained monkeys out there, I am with you. <laughs> Let's ride to Valhalla on Monday. We're going to take this game stonk to the moon. I like the stock, and I'm holding with diamond hands. Let's get it, buddy. <laughs> All right, I'll... I'll draw some diamonds on my hands just in moral support, though, because I don't know what that means. It's just like holding on because the paper hands click the cell. They get scared. Oh, it's like totally. a, it's a it's kind of a base jumping term. It's kind of like, uh, you know, when um, uh, in Point Break, the two skydivers are kind of playing chicken with the ground. And it's like, no, Johnny you Utah and Bodie. Thanks. I couldn't remember their names. Oh, my God. Flip 6-3 will be so disappointed in you. <laughs> I've been just staring at Reddit and my Robinhood app, which I can't wait to switch to a different platform. I just I'm I'm a little I'm a little tied to it at the moment. But as soon as I can liquidate my assets in that thing, I am never using Robinhood again. That sounds, uh, it, you know. If we hadn't just gone through 2020, I would have said that this sounds like something that you would see on TV, but none of this really <laughs> surprises me with the year that we just lived through. It seems like, you know, it's really been like one historically shitty thing after another. And it's like, it sounds like this for somebody like you, it really is like turning the tables on the historical wave. You know, it's like it's making some of that history work in the favor of the little people, the smooth brain monkeys out there, which is pretty awesome. It's uh, I've had a few people tell me about this. And, you know, I, as I said on the, on the last show, I'm not a math master. And so it was it's been really hard for me to track it and even, you know, keep up with the conversation much at all. But it was really interesting hearing you describe it that way, because if your brain is smooth then mine is, it may only be two-dimensional, but it's I think that you polished. made it possible, polished like a cue ball, <laughs> but you made it possible for me to keep track of that with my cue ball brain. So that's really, that's really awesome, and I uh, I hope it works out for you, man. I hope you're up 12, 12 grand next time we talk. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes, man. But you know what? You only lose and you only win if you sell, and if I'm holding on forever, I'm taking these game stonks to the grave, my friend. YOLO. <laughs> YOLO. This is the YOLO <laughs> movement. Awesome. Well, good luck, man. I hope uh, hope you win, bro. Yeah, we'll see. What's on uh, What's on your content circuit? You'll, it sounds like you'll actually be, be able to afford a lot more content in the future if this works out for you. Yeah, or I'll just have to uh, try to snag some free cable peering through my neighbor's windows when I'm... That's just good business practices right there. <laughs> So actually, I've been watching some great stuff. I, you know, this is a busy time in my life, um, juggling uh, this GameStop fiasco and also, of course, uh, getting hired for a new company and learning a new airplane. But um, because I had a crazy travel day yesterday and I flew from Greensboro to Miami and the flight got canceled and then it got canceled again and so forth and so on. Um, I, I had a, some good time where I couldn't really study 
and I watched some Netflix, and uh, I got three things to tell you about. Oh, man. All right. And I'm curious if you've seen these and what your feeling is. Death to 2020. Have you seen that? No, haven't even heard of it. Oh, man. It's uh, it's very good. It's like a compilation of the year's events, but it's satire. Like It's got Samuel Jackson, all kinds of uh, Lisa Kudrow. All kinds of uh, you know fantastic comedians and actors and actresses. So, Death of Twenty Twenty is great. WandaVision, you've been watching that. I I watched about five minutes of the first episode. I haven't oh, had a time so to good. sit down and like really watch it, but it looks very unique. Oh my! It looks God. unlike anything else in the MCU. Truly, absolutely. Um, absolutely they film fantastic. it in front of a live live studio audience. I don't want to, I don't know, but I don't want to talk too much about the plot of it. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, I read that it was filmed in front of a live studio audience. That's about the only specific I know about it. Okay, interesting. Uh, The last thing, have you seen Surviving Death? It's all about near-death experiences. No, man, you are landing on some gold right now. Netflix to the rescue, bro. Uh, That sounds incredible also. To hopefully so 2020 good. doesn't watch this surviving death show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how about you? What's on your content circuit? Uh, well, I'm still working through my massive uh, Lost Fleet series, but um, I do want to talk about something that Superfan, who I've already mentioned once tonight, Flip Six Three Holes, sent in uh, our good friend Nick, who we've known for a long time. He sent me a link to a TV show that he appeared on called Octane Academy on Fuel TV. And uh, I sent you this link earlier. It is extremely cheesy, but <laughs> <laughs> it's it's no America's Next Top Model. But it's very awesome to see him on there because it's like a it's a stunt driving show where they do like it's basically like car themed stunts, and they're all competing like for time and accuracy and things like that. But he said that they film for like a week in Santa Monica and. Ultimately, he said the entire thing ended up being a like a Ford marketing stunt. They were really pushing oh, yeah. the Ford Focus really hard, but uh, the stunts on it looked really awesome. Like it would be incredible to be on something like this. Like he does a a cardboard a cardboard box high fall, like where they jump off of the top of this like you know fifteen twenty foot thing into cardboard boxes, and they have to run this obstacle course where they like slide across the hood of a car and then hop in it and do like a J turn and then drive through these like little obstacle course areas. And you can tell this is old because uh, the GoPros are several generations behind <laughs> what we're used to these days. And I think he said it's from like seven or eight years ago before I ever knew him. But it's very, it's very funny and interesting to see one of our friends on TV from an era, you know, long before we ever knew who he was. So uh, if for nothing else, the cheesiness factor, we will link this uh, Octane Academy episode, and you might be able to see one of our super fans on TV. Check, nice. it out. Check out Nick on there if you want to finally put a face to Flip Six Three Hole. You know, only an action sports uh, athlete and aficionado would measure the passage of time in GoPro models. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I too remember like shopping for action sports cameras pre GoPro and there was no good choices. Oh man. Yeah. The (laughs) contour, I had a contour, which is basically like a telescope camera. It was, I mean, it was a real piece of junk and it was funny that it was called a contour because it did not fit 
smoothly onto any helmet that you would could possibly mount it onto. Do so you remember? GoPro definitely changed the game. Oh my god, great product, great company. GoPro sponsor us. We love you. Yeah, um, we have an ad space available in the show. Um, have, do you remember my first skydiving camera by chance? No, it did was it have a hand crank on it. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, this was definitely pre GoPro, and it was like a little digital camcorder that somebody at the drop zone was making L frame metal brackets like custom made that I've fit had several onto of those smooth. in my time yeah yeah i mean it was it was pretty good but then it's amazing that like gopro was infinitely better oh god yeah like yeah. a an old like a like a mini dv cam you yeah know, putting it on your helmet makes your helmet weigh like nine pounds or something absolutely ridiculous like you can put a gopro on a helmet now and not even notice it's there for sure how's your how's your neck and back feeling oh uh, i thought you didn't <laughs> want me to complain on the show brett <laughs> that good huh yeah, so good buddy well uh how about we take a quick break and uh josh can complain to me uh, in private and then when we get back we'll uh get into some content. Ooh, content hello listeners don't hit the skip forward button just yet this is not an ad this is a call for you guys and gals to get involved with the show so we want to hear from you about your favorite pieces of content and why they're the best or you can even tell us if you've checked out a piece of content because we recommended it and uh, if you loved it or not. So contact us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com or on Instagram or Facebook at The Content Clearinghouse. And we will read your letters on the air right here. Thanks so much for listening. We love you guys. Okay, back to the show. Ooh, content. Clear it out. All right, welcome back. To the content clearing house. I don't know what Josh is bringing for us today, but of course, last week we both had space-related content. So, if uh, Josh, if you bring me something stock market-related, I'm <laughs> I'm gonna lose my shit. I've already exhausted my cue ball brain's worth of stock market knowledge. <laughs> uh, but Brett, if there is one thing that I talk about more than zombies. Or that you talk about more than uh, Yuval Noah Harari, or that we both think about more than Kelly Coutrone, PR Maven. It is Ooh. space, as evidenced by our entire uncoordinated, <laughs> yet perfectly coordinated show from last week. And uh, I will say before I get going that this is a subject that I've actually been preparing for at least two weeks, long before we planned our show last week. And sometimes there's just a little bit of serendipity. So. I hope the people that uh, listen to this show also like space as much as we do, because I'm talking about it All the right. entire time tonight. <laughs> uh, but I mean, space is, I mean, it's a subject that is endlessly fascinating, you know, both in the real world and as a basis for sci-fi, which is by far my favorite genre. And if there is one experience that I would literally trade everything for, you know, one experience that makes me wish that I had been born far into the future where it would be attainable to the layman, a uh, cue ball brain like myself, it would be space travel. Like I would love to see the earth from orbit, or I'd love to witness a gas giant with my own eyes or see like the spiral arm of the galaxy unhindered by atmosphere and light pollution. And especially I would love to feel the effects of weightlessness, which is actually just the effect of endlessly falling into the, near the nearest gravity. Well, but I know that it's never going to happen, but Brett, Put that eyebrow down. 
what if I told you there was a way, if there was a way to orbit this planet or another alien world and descend to the surface and land or to travel between stars, head towards Sagittarius A and visit the galactic core or to plot a course to the Witchhead Nebula or even just visit our nearest galactic neighbor, Proxima Centauri. Brett, my good friend, <laughs> my space-loving friend, it really is an amazing time to be alive because there is a way. There's a way to hold galactic exploration in your hand and visit any one of the Milky Way's 400 billion stars. And that way is this humble little video game called Elite Dangerous. I have never heard of heard Elite of Dangerous. No, this is a first for me. Well, I'm going to enlighten you tonight. I can't wait. This sounds way more interesting than stocks. That's for sure. (laughs) It's become an obsession. So Elite Dangerous is a flight sim game. It's developed and published by Frontier Developments. Uh, They're a UK-based video game developer. It was originally released in 2014, and the game sees you piloting a spaceship, and you explore a realistic one-to-one scale open world representation of the Milky Way galaxy. And the gameplay is also extremely open-ended. So the ship mechanics and the flight model are extremely realistic. You have thrusters that control movement on every axis. Uh, You have the ability to use stabilized flight mode similar to an aircraft, or you can disable flight assist and drift the ship through like the frictionless space environment. And other than a few sci-fi allowances like uh, faster than light travel, the controls, navigation, and interaction with gravity wells all seem extremely plausible. You can tell they put a lot of time into thinking about how a highly maneuverable spacecraft would operate uh, outside of a gravity well. So Elite Dangerous is the fourth game in the Elite series, which is one of the longest-running video game franchises ever. The original game, uh, Elite, was released in 1984, which is essentially at the beginning of home video games existing. And this game is available for uh, almost every system, uh, Steam, Xbox, PlayStation, in VR, everything except for Mac for some reason, which they disabled support for a few years ago. So you're going to have to you know, buy an entire new computer after you hear me talk <laughs> about this because I know you're going to want to play this. I'm still waiting for my so you uh, s- Oculus Rift in a tent setup. Yeah, well, maybe with your GameStop, uh, GameStonk, yeah. game uh, attendees, Am I getting all the terminology right? <laughs> Dude, you could, you're uh, nailing it. Finally buy that tent you've been dreaming about. Perfect. <laughs> I just got one little crease in the cue ball. Uh, so you start the game with a spaceship and a very small amount of money in this open galaxy, and you role play in various activities to acquire more money. And these activities include things like trading, mining, exploration, passenger transport, bounty hunting, piracy, and assassination. You can explore 400 billion star systems, which is just so mind-boggling, complete with planets and moons that rotate and orbit in real time. They reflect a dynamic day-night cycle. Around 160,000 of the game's star systems are taken from real astronomical data. There's this background simulation running at all times. It's a it's dynamic. It reflects the evolution of the known galaxy with the ever-changing power uh, throughout the uh, the different leaders of the galaxy. And there are different factions that are vying for power. The player's behavior actually in, uh, influences this background simulation. 
and uh, players on different platforms that you don't play directly, but you are influencing the same galaxy. So someone mm. playing on PC, their actions are in real time updating this game world. So actions wow. that are maybe taking place all the way across the galaxy from where I'm playing will have this like trickle down effect that eventually will bleed into my game and my my instance of the game. And if this all sounds overly ambitious, then buddy, it seems like your ears are working. <laughs> <laughs> like I have never experienced a game with this level of ambition and something that actually pulls it off. This definitely sounds like a Google Maps level of ambition. Like if you think about what goes into creating Google Maps, I mean, people on backpacks with like cameras sticking out of them and cars driving around. And actually, one of the pilots in my uh, new hire class, he's fl he couldn't talk about um, who he worked for when he worked there. But now he can now that he's not under their contract anymore. But um, he flew airplanes for Google. And he would just fly in this thing with this giant camera and just fly in a grid pattern over cities. And that was, you know, published on Google Maps. But I mean, that's that's a My that's goodness. a high level of ambition. Now, I, you know, this is like taking that same ambition into like a video game. Yeah, yeah this is a little uh, off top. But um, I also heard recently about Microsoft Flight Sim that uh, it, it's apparently like, this absolute game changer that uses uh well they don't use google they use bing i mean they might be like bing's only customer but um <laughs> that uses bing's like 16 petabytes of mapping information to produce a one-to-one -one real time scale model of the earth that reflects dynamic weather like as weather is mm. happening on the planet it's reflected in microsoft flight sim and it's tracking like thousands of flights there have been people that have talked about seeing a flight overhead going inside logging on to microsoft flight sim finding that flight in the same location and then taking over the flight in the game and flying it wherever they wanted to go like this is like the level that video games are getting to and I heard someone say that they were actually talking about Elite Dangerous in the same conversation. They say that like flights, Microsoft Flight Sim is one of the the first true next gen video games they've seen since 2014 when Elite Dangerous came out. They they equated the change in the video game environment that Elite Dangerous had with the same kind of influence that Microsoft Flight Sim is having today. So that'll give you kind of a a reference to how significant this game is and like how phenomenal what it's pulling off actually is. That's incredible. I got to play so this, this thing. I got to check it dude, out. So wait to hear about this. This game uses a revolutionary technology called the stellar forge. So this comes from uh, David Braben. He's one of the developers at frontier or F dev as they call him frontier development F dev. So he said, everything we've got in the game is real. We've got 160,000 star systems that are from star catalogs, and the rest are created using sophisticated algorithms. We've populated these areas using algorithms to get the right stellar distribution, to get the right radiation pattern. And then from each of those systems, we model them from first principles. We model the planetesimals, the mass distribution around the star. We make various assum assumptions, for example, that the matter forms at the same time as the star. Then we wind that simulation of the planetesimals forward. 
This builds us a very rich game world, which is astronomically accurate as we can make it. In fact, this program is so accurate that it's actually made a few predictions that turned out to be true. In 2017, astronomers discovered this uh, star system named TRAPPIST-1. It's 39.5 light years away, which contains seven rocky worlds orbiting their star within a zone that's believed to support liquid water and is therefore a good candidate for life, which is like how this system was discovered. So when TRAPPIST-1 was discovered, Frontier, Frontier went in to update their code to add it to the system, and they found a nearly identical system in roughly the exact same place, 39 light years away. And they renamed that system TRAPPIST-1 without having really to change anything. It had the same amount of planets, the same wow. amount, the same type of star, same distribution, and the same potential for water to develop in that system, which is completely mind-boggling that their system is running on such a phys an accurate physics model that you know it it was able to trace the the creation of our galaxy out to this point and like drop this real thing in almost the exact same location where it exists in our actual galaxy like that I, is thanks technology it's amazing I don't, I don't even understand the potential implications of building a video game that has like real world consequences or like prediction capability. I mean, that it just seems like, you know, a medical video game might one day become a training aid and help, you know, solve like real world problems. Like that's unbelievable. That's amazing. Did you, did you hear about, they were, uh, it was researchers that were trying to untangle the, I don't know, DNA strands or something from, the AIDS virus, and they created this video game that it was basically like it gamified untangling strands. And they used that they, it's like what you were talking about with SETI, how they were like, you know, logging into your computational power of your computer and using it mm -hmm. in their research. But this was something that these researchers created as a way to untangle these strands of proteins or DNA or whatever it was. And you know, outsourced that uh, outsourced that job to gamers, and apparently they made like some real huge breakthroughs with it. You know, just by applying something besides just like an AI to it, applying like real human brain power and giving it like a gamified objective. You know, people are like scoring and just just something that gets you know somebody like us with our smooth brains addicted to it and makes us want to you know keep coming back and playing it. I mean, this is, you use the term gamified, like this is, I think, um, part of what's happening with GameStop. And I mean, this is something that like Elizabeth Warren pointed to is that these applications are gamifying stock markets. It's just like the same way that Instagram makes it really addictive and gets you like these little dopamine hits and rewards and achievements and, you know, oh, click here to open a gift. You know, like literally, yeah. like when you sign up for Robinhood <laughs> or you sign up for Webull, they're like, oh, we're going to gift you a stock it might be worth one dollar it might be worth two thousand dollars and you're just like oh what a prize and you know now that these tools are being weaponized against their very makers and their makers investors it's all of a sudden like oh we shouldn't have done this and it's Give like us the gift back <laughs> i mean this is the problem with like a whole legion of gamers like you know I i'm not totally convinced that people that have played a lot of video games that have, you know, died multiple times and 
respawned. Like, I don't know if we totally have our, a handle on the real life implications of like throwing a bunch of money at a crazy stock or like <laughs> things like base jumping. It's like, oh, it'll work out like life. I mean, sometimes I actually think to myself that life is a little bit like a video game. Do you ever have that thought? I, I know that playing video games have had like real implications in my life, like with problem solving reaction time. And I think about like a lot of times when I'm doing just like menial tasks that are just otherwise just completely mind numbing, you know, I try to gamify things and make it enjoy enjoyable. And I think about like, if this task was in a video game, I would, if it was a video game I was interested in, I would still make an effort to do this task because I would want to get to the end goal. And I think about like, well, this world is something I'm interested in. I'm very interested in being alive and living in this world, being a life pilot. And so I think about, you know, like just doing chores or going to the store or whatever, something that's just like extremely boring. But all those things like work towards a goal of like bettering my living situation or, you know, increasing the stocks of things that I need to survive. And so, you know, I, I use kind of like that gamified mentality to make my my boring interactions with the real world more interesting. And that's like, that comes directly from playing video games. I don't like when video games chorify the virtual world. I remember it was one of the last video games I played. I wish I could remember which it was. I do feel like zombies were involved, but I was on a beach and I was grabbing boxes and stacking them into a SOS on the beach. And I was like, this is just grunt work. This is a chore. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> that does sound like some bullshit game design. For sure. It's just a show like, oh, 500 hours of gameplay. It's like, yeah, if you're stacking boxes or, you know, if I end up doing the dishes in a game, I, I don't want to play that game. That's the kind of game that's going to ruin GameStop for good. <laughs> so I've got this uh, I've got this book, this Cosmos Field Guide by Guile Sparrow Plug. Um, it's, it's this gigantic coffee book, but I, I just realized this week that I can use it as a sightseeing guide for elite dangerous. The stellar forge is so realistic that everything I've seen in this book, I've looked it up in the game and it actually exists like, uh, the, the Eagle nebula, the Horsehead nebula, the hourglass, all of your favorite nebulas that you're always raving about. I've got a the hourglass nebula them. is really cool. I have seen uh, a picture indeed of it that. is. But I found I found them all in the game, and now I've got a goal of trying to visit all these real worlds, real world sites. That's awesome. So I was looking up, uh, you know, I was just researching the galaxy, and I found this story about mapping the galaxy. So there's this project called the Galactic Mapping Project. It's a very uh, descriptive name. It, it currently involves a fleet of over uh, fourteen thousand commanders. Commanders, are what they call you as the player. And they have the goal of mapping as much of the galaxy as possible and cataloging the sites. So it's being led by this guy, Commander Aramis Kemsel. So he uploads plans and objectives to help plan the most efficient way to go about this absolutely monumental task. So uh, David Braben from FDev also said this. He said, we've got about a thousand systems in-game being discovered every minute by real people. These are places where no one has ever been before. And as of 2020... Frontier said that players have explored only about 0.042% of the Milky Way, somewhere in the neighborhood of 144 million star systems. That means there are well over 399 billion star systems left to discover in this game. And I have flown through, because you'll, 
there's a few ways you travel. You travel in regular space where you're traveling, you know, somewhere between like 300 to 600 meters per second. And then you can go into super cruise, which is basically in system FTL or faster than light travel. So you boost out. And at this point now, when you're in super cruise, you can fly between planetary bodies past the sun. You know, you can basically cruise within an entire system. And, you know, I've traveled places that are, uh, you know, 400,000 light seconds. And it's taken me like almost an hour and a half of travel time to get all the way out. But most places it'll take you maybe like three, four minutes to cruise between planets or whatever. And then you can also go into hypercruise, which is essentially warping between stars. So you'll pick a destination, you'll charge up your hypercruise, and then you'll boost and you really have no control. You're just traveling through interstellar space. But as you do this, you can do what's called honking the system where you fire off your system discovery scanner. And if you're the first person that's ever been there, it will say like first discovered and it puts your name on it. And that's cool. It's, it's there's so many systems that have been like, you'll look at it and have some stupid name. You're like, Oh, this is definitely somebody's like Xbox gamer tag. And I've never discovered like a brand new system. Cause I haven't traveled that far in the game. But I've definitely discovered a few planets that were like giving me a bonus because no one's ever specifically shot that planet with the scanner before. Not mm. enough to get my name on it, but it's interesting to see something. You're like, wow, no one has ever been in this one spot before. It's really incredible. Well, hopefully one day you can finally name a planet Astronaut Boy 69420. <sighs> yes, XXL. <laughs> so the... Uh, so this game has like this incredible community and uh, in this game was released in 2014. So three years after the release in January, 2017, this world changing event for the game happened. It was a historic event involving this Xbox one player named DP Sayer. So he was pulled out of hyperspace or they call it witch space, which is the interstellar travel. And typically this, before this happened, this was thought to have been, untouchable area it, it was basically treated like it was a loading screen but he was pulled out of witch space uh while jumping between systems and he was he discovered an as of yet unknown alien craft piloted by a species known as the thargoids so the thargoids are this insect-like species that they fly these ships that have like an organic look it's, it's almost like a flying plant or a seed pod but this random encounter, it, it basically changed like the entire game because up until this point, humanity had assumed that it was alone in the galaxy. So there are millions of stars explored and countless planets discovered that never given any indication there was a, the presence of another intelligent species. And according to the developers, the, the aliens were present since launch. They were just waiting for a chance encounter that would basically change the game. And wow. this like shows such an unbelievable amount of patience that FDev knew that if they just put this stuff out there and they just let the simulation run and let hundreds of thousands or potentially even millions of people play it, eventually somebody would come across this because there are like massive storylines that were clearly already developed and you know they had been sitting on them for years waiting for this chance encounter to, to spawn this stuff. So this might be a stupid question, uh, but hopefully the content clearinghouse is a safe space for a stupid. This is a s this is a smooth brain realm, <laughs> so there are no stupid questions. 
I I love space. It embraces all of us. <laughs> so this processing power, like obviously there's so much to render in terms of the like physics engine. I think that's what you'd call it. Uh, you know, just all the graphics. Is this something that you need like a really high tech computer for, or is this something that's rendered on their end? Like how, how does this all work? How is this possible? So they have a bunch of servers that run, uh, like they have a game server. They have physics server. They have servers that run like the background simulation, but the game, uh, you have to have an online connection, but it's basically that information is being streamed to you. And then you also are, downloading portions of the game that are running like in a cache. Gotcha. Okay. So the, uh, the game is, it doesn't require like a supercomputer. I mean, like it will run on, you know, pretty much any basic gaming computer. It runs on like the, the Xbox one original model, which is by today's standards, like extremely weak system. But it'll also run, you know, like all the way up to the current models, the Xbox Series X or whatever the brand new system is. And you can you can change the graphical settings on a computer to kind of, you know, mirror what your computer is capable of. But the, the amazing thing about it is that this background simulation, you know, it's produced on their end. And then you're just kind of like tapping into it when you play. That's cool. So, uh-huh. so the... Uh, the, the Thargoids, like I do want to talk a little bit more about yeah, them yeah, yeah. it is very I fascinating. I love talking about aliens. Yeah, favorite. <laughs> so the, uh, that chance encounter with DP Sayer, it kicked off this ongoing Thargoid war in the galaxy. It later became known as the Second Thargoid War, and research eventually uncovered there was a previous, uh, a previous attack that was either lost in documentation or uh, people had, you know, the, the in-game people had basically like just forgotten about it and it had become legend and this is all like pre-written by fdev so uh the encounter with dp sayer kicked off all these story events and news there's an in-game news system called galnet every day like new news stories pop up and uh, he released these new weapons that have been sitting on the back burner just waiting to be activated by this encounter so now the thargoids have conquered entire nebulas. They kicked humanity out of star systems. They, they'll periodically destroy space stations. Uh, players need to go and like help evacuate them. Like I've participated in some of these evacs, but I have yet to actually run into a Thargoid myself. But that's just one small example of the type of expansive and emergent gameplay this game offers. Like This game is so elaborate and realistic that it almost feels like you are tapping into an alternate universe more than you're like playing a game. I also love that uh, DP Sayers Encounter essentially wrote this guy, this Xbox player, and his handle into the narrative of the game. So now, you know, that is the kind of thing that makes players feel like they have a real ownership over the world. Because if you are party to, like, one of these historic events, like, your name goes into the lore of the game. Same way it goes on to, like, the planets in the game. You're kind of like a co-star, or, like, I wouldn't say an author, but, like, a... You have like a starring role. Yeah, I mean, it's just cards, right? Yeah, and those cards are like completely random because you know this was a thing that this guy just happened to be jumping between these two stars where you know some condition was met that allowed him to be the first person to meet the Thargoids. It's really incredible. 
Now, what what happens if you just flew your ship into a star? So, around the stars, you have something called the uh, the exclusion zone, and it's basically where the star's gravity is heavy enough that it will pull you out of supercruise. So, if you hit an exclusion zone, you can hit these on planets also, but it'll drop you out of supercruise, which does damage to your ship and like breaks your shields down. But once you get out of supercruise, the distances are so huge that you essentially cannot close the distance. You could fly for months and you would never close the distance because you're moving at, you know, 300 meters per second. And the star, even though it takes up your entire screen or in VR, it just like fills the space in front of you in this like totally overwhelming way. It's still like a hundred million miles away from you or some ridiculous distance. So that's something that doesn't really happen, but bouncing off of like these gravity wells, that's kind of like your, your main, uh, like the main danger that you're facing when you're flying towards celestial bodies like that. Gotcha. And speaking of um, like the players in the game having an impact, there's this, uh, there's this group called the fuel rats. So they're a group of volunteer players and uh, they're essentially like a rescue service. So in the game, if you run out of fuel, you become stranded because you have no way to move, no way to jump between stars. So, your options are either self-destruct, which can cost you millions of credits in the game to rebuy your ship, or you can just go get fucked and sit there until the heat death of the universe. <laughs> but uh, the a better option is you can call on the altruistic group, the Fuel Rats. So they're, they've been part of rescuing hundreds of newer players. And when they rescue them, you know, they'll, they'll log on to like voice chat and they'll explain like, different functions of the game ask them like hey why did you get stranded oh okay, you, <laughs> give you shit <laughs> no it's like they're they are there to help like they have like strict guidelines like they've talked about making friends with new people and they're like oh you didn't understand these game mechanics well here's like a primer on how the game works because this wow. game is extremely dense and complicated so you know they'll ferry fuel out to them and get them on their way and there have been a few rescues of people that were way beyond the edge of the galaxy so I explained a little bit about hyper jumping. So anytime you have a star that's within like your hyperdrive distance, you know, the distance that your ship can jump particularly, you can jump between stars as long as you don't run out of fuel. And you have a thing called a fuel scoop that allows you to fly around certain class of stars and refuel your, your ship. So as long as you plan properly, you'll never run out. But there are these records that people want to set. So uh, there's a record for traveling more than uh, 65,000 light years from Seoul. And that the only way to do that is to by, by leaving our galaxy. And there are no stars once you get past the galactic edge. And people have obviously gotten stranded doing this. So the, the fuel rats will plan these harrowing rescues with a, a group of them like leapfrogging out with resupply ships that are designed to help keep their fleet moving. They're running these precision numbers and gauging distances and using coordinates to dead reckon the locations of these stranded commanders. Cause once you get wow. out there, there's also no reference points. So it's very possible for them to get stranded also if their calculations are off and they could easily miss you if they're not navigating properly. So they've like streamed. There've been some, this is kind of like we talked about Eve online, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a few, a few weeks ago. And we talked about like the crazy battles that like the New Yorker has written about. There's been stories like this about these fuel rats, uh, their rescues that have made like real, like national news. 
And it's crazy because they like do this stuff for free and for fun and really to just make like the galaxy of Elite Dangerous a better place. I've never heard of anything really like that in a game before this. Man, that's wild. It sounds like these fuel rats would make great pilots or dispatchers. I mean, just with the planning that it takes and like coordination, crew coordination and leadership. Yeah, it seems like this game has brought out like an entire community of just like software engineers. There are all these tools that I have to use to play this game, like the shipbuilding tools and these uh, commodity trading tools to figure out like the best place to mine and sell. And all this information is like updated in real time as the background simulation of the game changes. And so, you know, they, they must be using like data, uh, data mining to get this information from FDEV servers somehow, and they feed it out to the community. Hmm. And it's just allowed to happen because the game is so dense that you really need these things to, to participate properly. Like once you start getting into the meta of the game, you really need these tools or you just get left behind because there's so much to it that you can never just keep track of it. You'd have like, you know, notebooks full of notes and they'd be out of date within, you know, five minutes. Would you say that this game attracts uh, some possible neck beards? Uh, there are some sweet, <laughs> sweet tendies in store if you're willing to put the work in. I bet. So I have not been a fuel rat. I'm not not good enough for that yet, you're, but you've had a lot of level. jobs in this game. Oh, so I've run oh no. <laughs> I've run courier missions between stars. I've been a galactic stripper. No, not yet. Not <laughs> yeah. good enough. I've rescued down pilots in survival pods from planet surfaces using my SRV. Uh, and I've also used that SRV to explore these alien worlds with like one thirteenth of Earth's gravity and you know, one wrong move could almost send you like spiraling out into orbit. So I've also joined the Federal Navy, Brett. I've worked my oh, way wow. up in their ranks and I earned uh, to, to earn a permit to visit Seoul. You have to join the Navy and you have to work your way up until they give you the permit. So I did that for weeks and weeks just so I could go to Seoul and see like the kind of expansive construction and exploration that's happened there in the cradle of humanity. And while I was there, there are a few planets you can't land on. They don't let you, won't let you land on Earth or the moon, but I've landed on Mercury and Europa. And watching the sun and Jupiter dominate the sky is pretty incredible. It's awe-inspiring. So that, that trip to Seoul also gave me a perspective about our own world and how it truly is like a spaceship Earth. You know, you can see it in the game, the thin atmosphere, which is essentially like a naturalistic force field that's holding back the the death of space using the processing of chemicals in our planet's own magnetic core, which is like a really incredible thing to see and like a thought to have from playing a video game. I've also found, I haven't been there yet, but I've found that the Voyager is present in the game and it's several hundred thousand light seconds further out from where it is currently in our timeline because this game takes place in 3306 or something like that. So that is a, that is a site you can go visit, which I have on my, uh, on my agenda. You know, recently I was listening to, um, Scott Kelly on Dax Shepard's armchair podcast, armchair expert. Um, great episode. I just pulled out my phone to take a look at it. It's uh, episode 270. It came out December 3rd, 2020. 
And what really struck me was him talking about uh, Spaceship Earth and how this, you know, when you see, um, you know, he just spoke with such reverence about how fragile our planet looks. I mean, our atmosphere, you know, we think of, of it as this like just huge protective blanket over us that, you know, allows us to breathe and protects us from solar radiation and you know, when you see it from a different perspective, it just looks like this tiny, thin, wispy veil that, you know, could just get blown away uh, by a breeze or something like that. So, you know, and it's just being these air molecules are just being held on with gravity. So it's really fascinating to hear an astronaut like wax poetic. I love waxing poetic. I know, you know it's you. like <laughs> so, you know, how when you start skydiving it gives you a different perspective on the world. Like just seeing the world, not just out of the, the window of a plane, but like out of an open door or in free fall and seeing like how small everything is and being exposed to the wind in free fall. And that giving you like this very tactile connection to the reality of, you know, what our planet is like, that's kind of like an eye opening experience for me that changed the entire way that I look at the planet the entire way. I look at everything distances and, you know, sometimes like the significance or insignificance of things that happen in our lives. And it seems ridiculous to say this, but like the same thing, playing this game and looking at these like earth like planets and seeing when you're used to traveling through these solar systems and you understand the distances and then you look at that the atmosphere and it's this very thin little line and then you go and you land on a planet with no atmosphere and you look up and space comes right down the horizon there's no there's no difference between the brightness of the stars when you're in space or when you're on the planet and then you realize like wow this little thin almost universally insignificant line of air molecules is all that really separates us and everything that humans have ever accomplished from just being like suffocated immediately or like burned yeah. to death by our sun. <laughs> right. It's, it's really unbelievable. You know, that, that kind of, that kind of perspective can be given to you from a video game. Definitely. I, I, you know, we, we can't all travel to space yet and it sounds like really the only way is uh, either riding the rocket ship of the gme stock or playing this video game or if you're flat earther you could uh, just forget about it because space isn't real <laughs> there was that guy that that flat earther that built like a rocket chair yeah and, like, he, log <laughs> he wanted to go up to five thousand feet to see the curvature of the earth like even if <laughs> Even if you're as bad at math as I am, and clearly flat earthers are, there's no way that's high enough. <laughs> so, the uh, as far as another perspective this game gave me, I've also spent a little bit of time mining, and um, when you're when you are watching these mountain-sized asteroids tumbling in front of you, it's very creepy. It gives you, you know, you, you see this gigantic thing with like a planet in the background and the gigantic rock when you zoom out is basically, again, nothing, a pinpoint. But it, it gave me this perspective of like, wow, this is something that's actually happening right now. Like just 
within our, our own heliosphere, there are these giant rocks that are bigger than Everest that are just slowly tumbling around like in these accretion disks around planets, like bumping into each other. And that's something that's just happening regardless of anything that's happening with Earth. And I've mined these, these asteroids. And then as you're leaving, you get attacked by pirates. And so I've also spent some time in a fighter, like a stripped down ship fighting these pirates, which is like one of the coolest parts of the game. And I named my uh, I named my fighter the PR Maven. I did you really? Yes, because <laughs> I feel like if you're gonna grief people, you might as well do it in style like Kelly Coutrone. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing! Your the PR Maven is mining Bitcoin on asteroids. Exactly. Twenty twenty one. Every one of these experience and jobs helps helps push the economy of the game. And without the hundreds of thousands of players doing these things every day, the the march of progress in the game would grind to a halt. You know, it's you know, there are significant events like what happened with DP Sayer's Thargoid experience that periodically changed the narrative. But at the same time, you know that like this galaxy is indifferent and that it would just you know, it will just keep plugging away regardless of what I want it to do. It is this fully functioning one-to-one scale Milky Way with everything that we all know that entails and billions of other things that we never even thought of. And the game puts into perspective what I'm seeing when I go out and I look up at the night sky and see the, the few stars that you can see through the light pollution. Or when you look up from the wilderness and you see the spiral arm of the galaxy. And you know this game is put into perspective again, like where soul is in relation to that and what our actual sight line of that is and what that represents and it never occurred to me once before playing this game that every single constellation that we can see with a naked eye is actually contained within our galaxy like i don't know how i did not realize that but if you're willing to learn the rules of this game and it's deliberately obtuse controls that only a human could have created it's complex economy and it's overwhelming amount of options you will find an experience that transcends gaming. It's an ex- it's an experience that makes you appreciate Spaceship Earth, and uh, you know the the fact that it's hurling through the cosmos at eighteen miles per second, the absolute insanity of something like that. But it, thanks to FDev, the technological marvel that is Elite Dangerous, you know that kind of perspective is now always in the forefront of my my thoughts. And this game truly is the definition of overly, overly ambitious. But Frontier has proven their willingness to continually expand this galaxy, first with the phenomenal space flight, and then they added the ability to land on planets, and soon they're going to be adding an entire first-person shooter aspect to the game. This is the type of experience that interactive media was built for, and it's the type of game that makes you think, like, I may never need another video game ever again. Wow. That's pretty serious, man. It's amazing. Well, you can go ahead and return uh, all those other video games to GameStop for a couple bucks store credit, and then <laughs> you maybe convert that to stock, and uh, maybe that'll help your you ship. Out. <laughs> it probably will. We're in this together, buddy. Excellent. Well, I already know what my username is going to be when I sign up. Miss Trans Neptunian Objects. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I was wondering if she would make a showing uh, tonight. Oh, <laughs> a showing. Well, that was absolutely fantastic. Um, I can't wait to blast off into space with you, buddy. Uh, what an unbelievable show this was. So to the listeners out there, 
Thank you so much for joining us. You can follow us on Instagram. We have a Facebook page as well. Both are at the content clearinghouse. You can email us contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. We also have a, uh, this is breaking news. We also have a Discord that uh, Flip 6-3 hole set up for us. So there's now a uh, Content Clearinghouse disc, uh, Discord channel that we can communicate directly with us, which we will leave in the show notes as well. So please join that. Okay. You know, I'll. Uh, you'll have to tell me what Discord is. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> but uh... It's a <laughs> private chat server. All right. That makes perfect sense. Well, don't forget to subscribe for more hot Uh, stock tips from not financial (laughs) advisors Uh, I repeat we are not financial advisors but we do appreciate you listening to the content clearinghouse we'll see you next week